and welcome to Real Clear Fetish Talks Real Clear Play. Uh, it's been a month's break because, well, technology and shit happens. So um, this week I'm in London and my guest is also in London. But because we're still in lockdown, we can't really do the episode together. But we'll be together in London over soon. That's what it is. Hi, Nick. How are you? Hello. I'm very well. And you? Um, just muddling along, getting ready for summer and getting out of lockdown eventually. Aren't we all? Oh, God, yes. Desperate. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm over it now. I'm over it now. So we'll start with the four standardized questions and then we'll see where the conversation goes. Lovely. So question one, what do you prefer I call you? Name, pronouns and title. Oh, boy, Nick probably is the best for this. Boy, Nick. I'll do that then. Yes. And question two, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Uh, I am uh, a 53-year-old, six-foot-six, um, submissive bottom and boy. Um, I have, um, I'm part of a triad with two other men, and then separately I'm boy to a daddy, Q Dark Wolf, um, who's... Uh, well-known in the leather community in the U.S. And I'm a happy Londoner who's been clean and sober for 25 years and counting and kinky for most of that time. I got kinkier as I stayed clean longer, actually. Uh, long may it continue. Um, yeah, that's the, that's the short story. I used to, uh, I used to manage musicians. I am actually going to do some management of musicians again. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's the short story. That's the short story. We'll get in more into details later on. Um, you've kind of answered the question already, but I'll ask it anyway. Completely sober, clear headed or social drinker? Completely sober for 25 years. And the last question, and that kind of leads us into where every conversation goes. What is clear play to you and why is it important? Um, clear play to me is, is um, intimacy that's not intermediated by chemicals. <clears throat> I, um, before I stopped using and, and drinking, um, very little of my intimate life was not chemically altered. And um, when, I, when I got clean, I realized that I was going to have to reinvent my, my sexual identity um, because I didn't know how to be intimate without uh, chemicals, physically or otherwise, actually. Um, and, um, and so that, that the, the process of staying, staying clean and sober had a parallel process where um, I learned how to, well, I built a sex positive identity for myself. I, I learned <clears throat> to admit that, that I was, I was this person. I was, um, I was kinky. I was a, a leather man. And, um, it was like coming out again, actually coming out, being, being a submissive in when you <laughs> six foot six, uh, guy, um, this is, this is not how you're raised to be. And so, um, 
you're raised to be sort of this alpha male type of uh, heteronormative uh, vanilla person, and I'm none of those things. So it was like coming out all over again, actually, um, as a as a submissive and as a uh, as a kinkster. Um, so to me, um, the the a lot of the value of BDSM or any kinks really is that it creates. Um, it's an intimacy accelerant, and that's 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 its value to me. Uh, all these all these different, you know, sexual and sort of sexual kinks that you can get up to—they're all ways to find common commonality with another man. In my case, and and to um, to have an intimate connection, whether it's a one-time thing at a party uh, with someone you don't know well, or, or a long-term thing with a lover. Um, being being clear-headed means you're actually open to the other person or people, and you're actually connecting with them, rather than altered brain chemistry in your head, which is um, what you, what you have if you're if you're if you're high. If you're high, you're somebody else, and any experience you have is really uh, not the real experience. It's some other experience, and. Uh, for me, there's no question that the real experience is far better than anything that I had, any illusion that I had while I was while I was high, because that's really, to me, if you're on if you're on a mood mind altering chemical, um, you're having an unreal experience, and that's fine. There are there are plenty of of of, of men who are happy happy with that, but I'm not one of them. I want the real thing. In all its yeah, glory. Yeah, when, 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 when you talk about when you go to, like, for example, we've had conversations about clear play, and when, when you talk about when you go to IML or stuff like that, and you kind of describe some of the stuff you get up to and so on, and I'm just like, I wish I was that confident sometimes, because I'm, well... In, in the greater scheme of things, I'm still at the start of my journey and also in the start of relearning a lot of my kink and because I'm only three and a half years down the line where you just said you were 25 years down the line and so that's 25 years of experience. So it'll take some time before I get to that kind of level. Um, but it is definitely some of the stuff you tell me is I would aspire to be that comfortable, that secure in what I'm into and what I like um, so it's it's it gives me hope when I listen to you talk about what you get up to I would say that yeah well I'm glad to hear it I it's it's it wasn't an overnight process for me um, it was anything but I was uh, when I got clean I was a deeply insecure uh, man with very little self-awareness of what <clears throat> what intimacy with with other men was, and who I was, what I liked. I had, you know, no real ability to admit to myself that I was, you know, I, I had this idea of myself as a top and kind of vanilla, which is the opposite of of reality. But it and it took time for me to accept that um, society's ideas of who we should be are. Um, Aren't, aren't necessary. You can just forget those and build your own, um, your own identity. And fortunately, I found you know men like you along the way, who who helped me find um, find myself. 
helped me help me make peace with with what I wanted and who I was and um, and I you know so I'm I'm the product of a lot of trial and error a lot of it wasn't comfortable um, or easy at the time but it all led me to the next to the next thing um, and uh, long long may it continue <laughs> I certainly Absolutely. when I got clean at 28 I had you know if you told me I would have been who I am today then I would have said you know get out like there's no way <laughs> so that just goes to tell you how clueless I was about myself so <laughs> I think everyone is kind of clueless when they become sober. They're like a little bit like like a blank piece of paper. It's like, what do you do with yourself? And you kind of have to discover where you're from and what you want to do and, and what type of sex do you want? Especially when we're talking about fetish, you mentioned you discovered fetish sex after becoming clean and sober. We now have a lot of people who discover kink in chems, which is problematic because what is the chems and what is actually you and you kind of have to learn that afterwards how did you find that process of becoming sober but also having to learn uh, like did you take contact to other sober fetishmen like here in the in europe it's not a big scene of sober fetishmen where like for example in the states and i know you go there a lot did you take contact for there i know yeah um i i stumbled around in the dark quite honestly because i didn't know what i was even looking for <clears throat> so i mean i certainly had a few i had a few encounters with men while i was using that was certainly kinky um mm -hmm. a couple of partially successful attempts at fisting in particular um and 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 a bit else so like I wasn't willing to admit it at first. I knew that I was interested in those things still. And I kind of by accident found other people who happened to be interested in them. I didn't, I wasn't self-aware enough or comfortable enough with myself to go looking for, okay, this specific thing. I, I, I certainly had a connection with the leather community from when I came out, <clears throat> largely because I was involved in managing artists and and was wearing leather and so I figured I should go to bars where gay men wore leather thinking that they're all going to be like rock music listeners like me and found out no it's not like that at all it's something else entirely so I slightly so more yeah, highly yes and Madonna yeah yeah there was a bit like more that, yeah. much more pop than ACDC but that's fine I was fine um but of course that's that's sort of an easy entree into you, you, kinkiness you, you haven't you haven't lived until you fisted someone in the back room whilst Hit Me Baby One More Time is running on the speakers in the background. You haven't lived. Uh, I, I'll, I'll take your word for it. That sounds a little terrifying <laughs> to me, but... It happened in Malmö uh, at their club there. I was like, this is really weird. Why are they playing Britney? I, um, I felt slightly odd. So even I felt odd about that. And yeah. I like Britney. That's, but, that's yeah. not the visual you're looking for in that particular scene oh. in your mind, certainly. No, <laughs> no not at all. Um, yeah, so I, I, I kind of stumbled around and, uh, on, and, and found things accidentally. And then, you know, the next encounter would lead me to the next thing. And then I would find more people interested in what I was interested in. Um, I mean, I was very clear all along. I wasn't interested in any scene that involved drugs. So 
that automatically filtered out all kinds of people in all kinds of situations and made things, you know, not as easy. Um, but that that was just the price of of staying clean and having not not dying because I would have died if I kept using or if I'd gone back mm. to it. So, you know, that was the the overriding objective was n not to go back. <laughs> And it's much easier now. It's certainly much more e much easier now because there are far more. The, the the kinky community is more organized. I think partly because of the internet it makes it easier, but also those who are who are sober are also kind of organized. It's more in the states, as you as you say, because they're just more yeah. organized about sort of everything. <clears throat> but even even here, you know, profiles on apps, people make clear they're not intro, you know, no drugs and. And or they're sober, so I, even even in that way, I think it's it's easier. Pardon me, than it was in the in the sort of pre-mainstream internet world. There, you really were. Well, it was just accidental because you had to go where people where kinky hung out, and that was often bars, you know. So you you had to kind of be comfortable in that environment and not use if you were an addict and an alcoholic like me, and and. Um, and and talk to people. Yeah, it's it's difficult where a lot of the fetish scene is set in a location where it's literally in right in temptations way. So it's it, it can be really difficult when you if you're brand new and sober and you don't know you kinda wanna explore this, but who do you contact? Where do you go? Um I know you before lockdown uh, organized for Antwerp Leather Weekend. You organized uh, some local twelve-step meetings whilst there. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, the the idea was born out of uh, going to International Mister Leather and Mid Atlantic Leather in the United States, where for a long time the sober fetish community has held meetings in the host hotels every day, sometimes multiple meetings per day. And I was friendly with those guys, and um, and I'm actually a member of Law, the the Leather Folk of Recovery, who organizes the IML meetings. And so um, I approached the organizers of Antwerp and asked if they would put some space aside where we could have a meeting each day, and they they did. And so uh, that that's how it that's how it started. Um, there weren't like dozens of people there. It was a bit of a comedy of errors trying to find. <laughs> that space but um but it was a start um and I, i'll certainly follow up and, and do that again uh i'd like to do that at the uk the uk events too um yeah we, we were before lockdown and for fetish week we were in the middle of trying to organize yeah. a sober play party as well which in itself was also a, a challenge because where do you find a venue that doesn't have alcohol in it or will be willing to remove the alcohol for the evening and also yeah. have rigorously checks at the door. Um, but I still hope we will be able to do that at some point because it we have a section of gay men here in London, especially in lockdown, where it's gotten really bad uh, when it comes to chemsex and, and just spinning out of control. So we need safe spaces to explore your sex and your kinky sex without the worry about relapsing. Yeah. My hope is that the Club Verboten venue uh, still comes to pass, um, which I think it will. 
because then of course we'd have that space yeah it's 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 so important we we do all these things and we get it up and running and like with the sober socials i've done here in london it's it's and it was such a mixed crowd as well it's it's not necessarily it doesn't always have to be 12 step people it can be all sorts of people there are people that choose not to drink at all like my previous guest he had never drunk in his life so and that was just by choice it just didn't attract him so a, a venue where he can hang out with other fetish people where he doesn't have necessarily have to deal with drunk people is great so that we need more of that we need more of that in europe and we also need to talk more about it because there is a big section of the fetish community like the more druggy section of it and we seem to be we know it's there but we're not 100% acknowledging it it's a little bit like that cousin we don't talk about and it's a shame because the more we talk about it the more we can address some of the issues around it yeah I mean I, I, obviously I agree with you I mean I, I also think this it's sort of wrapped up in another problem in that there's still shame and guilt associated with being kinky because it's not mainstream gay to be, you know, kinky or like I am polyamorous and in a in a in a power exchange relationship, you know. And so, if you if you're young and you realize you're kinky and you have shame issues, then using or drinking too much becomes a way of of dealing with these underlying feelings, which of course is not healthy because that then you're more likely to get into substance abuse trouble. So I think that the, there's also a challenge, uh, more generally, just to 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 take away the stigma associated with kinkiness, um, certainly in, in in British culture. But I think more generally, I do think things are changing in that in that, in that way for the better over time. Um, I, I, I'm not a fan of it, but the Fifty Shades of Grey thing becoming so popular did. I think rip the band-aid off of some of that and and make kink acceptable even if that was a very sort of disneyized uh version of it um from what it really is but you're but you're right there's not enough discussion uh even in the kink community about the drug problem that does exist but there isn't enough discussion of it in in the mainstream gay community either um, no, it's it's like in the last couple of years, I've seen several uh, like social groups on, on Facebook and so on, and literally call out the leather community or robber community for being at Pride and saying it's not appropriate, it's not family friendly. And I'm just, well, Pride is a protest. And also, if it wasn't for leather men, a lot of these things wouldn't have happened. They were the ones in the protests. They were the ones in the barricades, if you could say. Yeah. And it just seems to be a little bit forgotten by the slightly more vanilla community that they, we are still part of the LGBTQ plus community. And, and we're not, if we walk in a pride parade, that's not inherently sexual. It's more, it's also a lifestyle for a lot of people. It's, it's, it's a way of being. Uh, I definitely know for me, I like wearing my gear, but 
it doesn't necessarily always have to be a sexual thing. I, I like wearing gear if I go to dinner with someone. That's great. So it's 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 about educating but also listening to each other of course. Yeah, and I I I think also that the mainstream gay community has to remember that it can it can be as conforming in terms of relationship forms and the like as it wants to. But ultimately, the, the, the sort of default heterosexual, heteronormative life, the gay, the gay life isn't that. It just isn't that. So you can make a life that's similar to it if you want to, but it's still not the same. And so everyone in the, the gay and LGBTQI community who wants to depart further from what is seen as the norm is really only shades of difference anyway. Uh, and, and so there's no, there shouldn't be any time for shame <clears throat> from any part of our community for, for any other, because that's kind of what we're all trying to escape. We want society to accept us as we are, not to accept us conditionally if we act like everyone else does or how others think we should act or think others should act. Um, and I, I think a, that a little bit of that has been forgotten in the last few years, where um, there is so much more acceptance um, of, of alternative sexual orientations, alternative genders, than, than there ever was. Uh, people have forgotten that um, you're still not the norm, and you should be okay with anyone of any persuasion who wants to live their life in a different way and not really have any judgments about it. And of course yeah, we're on the... It's, yeah, it, it, it's, you don't necessarily have to understand it as long as you respect the person and their choices. And not, well, it kind of comes down to don't be a dick about it. <laughs> That's the short version. <laughs> That's the short the version. Undiplomatic don't version. be a dick. Well, yeah, but there's, there's the world is full of dicks. Oh my god! Um, so, uh, uh, thank God for and many not of the them, good but kind. Not that kind. Yes, yeah, not the good kind. No, not, not the good kind. Not the good kind. It's like I, to be honest, at this point, I wouldn't know a penis if I sat on one. So I think you would probably would come back to you pretty quickly, there, mate. <laughs> Maybe, maybe. I, I may have sampled one or two in my time. I think there'd be some um, memory there, yes. Talk, talking about alternative like relationships and so on, you mentioned you were in a triad. Um, talk a little bit about that, because I come from... I, my last long-term relationship was with two, uh, two uh, a married couple. I was with them for five years. Uh, I called it a threesome or a freeway relationship. Um, now there's become a lot of different names for it, polyamory. Um, you've said triad, which is actually a new term for me. So could you explore that a little bit with us? Uh, sure, and it actually grew out of my leather life, interestingly, though it is not a power exchange relationship or a, or a fetish relationship and, and a kinky relationship in that way. All of us are kinky, uh, in, and many kinks are common, actually, between the three of us, but, but, it's, but we're fundamentally just three men who love each other. 
But we met actually at a party that was organized on one of the uh, the gay, you know, deliberately sex-related apps at International Mr. Leather. They were holding a party in their room, and I got invited to it, and that's how we met. <laughs> and it evolved. They that, were that old story. Yeah, they they. <laughs> <laughs> it was that kind of party. Yes, it, it was an orgy. Um, and they were friends with benefits at the time, and the three of us became sort of a relationship at the same time. They knew it, they'd known each other for 10 years. Um, one of them is actually married as a vanilla uh, married relationship uh, separately from the relationship with the three of us. Um, and so we just kind of fell together and the, the pandemic actually was the making of us because I normally would have to spend a great deal of my time traveling within Europe for work and it wouldn't, it wouldn't normally be possible for me to spend more than a couple of weeks a year in, the North, in North America. But because of the pandemic, I could work from anywhere, still can. And so it allowed us to spend basically six months under the same roof um, in a very challenging time, but um, it, it was the making of our, of our relationship, interestingly enough. <clears throat> and and, and the, the power exchange relationship I have with, uh, with Q uh, is the same thing. We met in an online recovery meeting, one of the IML meetings that normally are in person at IML, they're now online. Uh, and I, I had seen him before at, at IML and MAL and thought, oh, God, that man. But never managed to meet, we just hadn't met. But, but uh, we met because uh, we were on the meeting together, started chatting when I went to New York last October. We got together and that was that. <clears throat> so um, both of my my emotional relationships actually came out of my of my being a part of the the leather community and in one in one case the leather recovery community he's also long-term sober so um <clears throat> totally different types of relationships i mean they're, they're like they're miles different from one another but complementary and certainly good for me because I'm both I, I of those things. I definitely remember, remember when, when I was in my freeway relationship, when I had to explain that to people, a lot of people just going, oh, is that really kinky then? Oh my God, you must have so much sex. It's like, it's actually a pretty regular relationship. You just have to relate to two people instead of one. And to be mm. honest, at the end of the relationship, I couldn't see one person without the other. It wouldn't work because they complemented each other. Yeah. So it 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 kind of it for me they were kind of one person, in a way. If that makes yeah. sense. No, I it, I totally relate. We we are, we're good for each other. We we all have something the others need, um, and we're but we're all happier, better adjusted people when we're together regularly than when we are when we're separated. Um, and it, you, you, well, you know what it's like. You have to you have to relate differently, because um, <clears throat> in, in a in a in a one on one relationship, you know you're trying to come to a happy medium, but when you're in a trip a three way relationship, if you have an issue with one other person, you can't really solve it entirely on its own because the way you relate affects how you each relate to the third person. So you always have to come up with not just a, a happy medium for you, but something that will actually work for all three of you. And often you have to bring the third person in <laughs> to any issues you have in order to have a, a, 
the outcome that, that's really the best outcome. Um, I'm sure it sounds very complicated to anybody who's not been in it. Um, well, you, you literally just said that one of them is married and then you're free together and then you also have your boy for a daddy. If you explain that to someone, they'll probably go cross-eyed. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I definitely have talked to, and it's it's very common thing in America. It's become more common over here now. I would say, I still think I was on the front burner of it because yeah. I hadn't run into anyone besides a friend of mine who'd done that type of relationship, and it was actually my friend who kind of pointed out, well, I was in a freeway relationship, so why don't you just get together with both of them? <laughs> And at the time, that was just like mind blowing. It's like, can you do that? That that's not what I've been taught. You're you're supposed to be two people, and it ends in marriage, and you have a dog or adopt or something. This is what I've been taught. This is what I've grown up with. But now it's you can kind of do what you want, and you have. I I see online a lot of like throuples and, and so on they're very proud of it and very open about it and try to destigmatize it because a lot of people think it's some it has to be something kinky not necessarily it's just three people who love each other hmm. yeah we share kinks but the kinkiness is not why we're a relationship we're in a relationship because we love each other uh, also yeah, my my daddy also know. has a has a, a marriage uh, he's also married. Again, it's a it's a completely vanilla uh, relationship. I think this, this this kind of thing is more common than people realize. Like you're connected by like connections through your relationships. It's like, oh, your oh, so your partner is actually dating my boy and but has a puppy down in somewhere. And yeah, it gets very confusing very quickly. Um, but it's amazing though. It's, 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 it's so liberating. And it's, it's, it's also this notion of you can only love one person just doesn't make sense. I remember being in the relationship and at the start of a relationship, uh, I'd never been in an open relationship at the time. This is 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago. Um, and I remember I was so jealous so so jealous as soon as one of them kind of went off with one and so on and i realized that actually one of the guys in the relationship he has flings with people hmm. like there will be the flavor of the month or every three yeah. months i was one of those people that stuck around <laughs> but i realized after the first fling that oh this is actually an occurring feature this is just something that happens yeah did he burn his fingers a couple of times because the person he was flirting with got got attached? Yes. Um, for for me and the other guy it was it was very entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's 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 you realize there's different types of relationships and you have to kind of be open to it. And there's no there's no wrong way of doing a relationship or how it should look. No, love is beautiful in whatever form it takes um, and if anything we need more of it not less and um, judgment of, of I, 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 I don't really understand why anyone would make harsh judgments about the relationships of somebody else I certainly don't understand anyone in the, the gay or LGBTQI community 
having anything negative to say about it because that's a big part of what we're trying to to be able to do for ourselves and in many parts of the world it's still not it's still not the case we have it really good in the west but it's by no means universal um i've traveled to a lot of the world and i've seen how how hard it is just to be gay forget the rest in in dozens of countries <clears throat> and then you add kinkiness on top of it that's a whole nother layer of, of um, judgment and discrimination well you you mentioned at the start of the episode like it's it's like coming out again i definitely have come come out in stages in my life i came out gay then i came out as a kinkster and then i came out as an addict and just because you come out to your parents, this doesn't mean you stop coming out because you have to pick and choose who you tell things to. Is this person going to be open enough to understand that I'm in a, in, a, in a triad relationship? Do I have to explain it? I was lucky enough that my mom met these two guys when I moved over here and she was very open to it. That was not an issue, but not every parent would understand that bit, I think. Right. No, it's very true. I mean, and certainly I know for, for me, <clears throat> um, I don't think that it ever totally ends. Because I think if you're, especially if you're in recovery and you're kind of working a program to, to stay in recovery, you're, you're kind of automatically always evolving and, you know, questioning and exploring yourself. But also... If you're exploring who you are, that naturally leads to exploring uh, the world of other people. Yeah, I don't think you can escape that. <clears throat> and uh, I certainly, I, I, my experience is the, the the kink community is is more on average much more open-minded uh, and accepting of difference than the mainstream gay community is, um, or the or the mainstream is. Um, and, um, but even there, there's, there's still issues even there, you know, there's still, um, there's still value judgments about tops versus bottoms and doms versus subs and, and the like. It's, it's far better than, than in other parts of the community, but it's still there. There's still some of it there. Well, as, as you mentioned at the, as well is, and I've, I've met other guys who are equally your stature your height and they do have problems around like being a bottom because everyone assumes if you're a certain height you're definitely a tall oh yeah and i'm just like it's furthest from the truth most tall guys i've met they're raging bottoms to be honest. <laughs> so i never assume that someone's tall you you can you can wish that, are, <laughs> but that doesn't it doesn't change it and to be honest I also find the smaller the guy, the more taut they are. Oh, this is really because true. It's, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It, and look, this is this could be a generalization too far, but uh, shorter guys who are tops are really they they're the ones who tend to be the more aggressive, dominant ones. Uh, it, that, that, in my experience, just in general, of course, this is a non-scientific survey of a few thousand men, but. Yeah, still, that's you know, <laughs> that's not everybody. Um, so yeah, I, it's funny. People have these ideas about height and what that means, and uh, again, it's it's just a construct. But it's certainly true. Um, 
It's certainly true. There was a time when I weighed about 15 kilos more than I do now, all muscle. And I thought when I was getting big, because this was just kind of an early recovery, I thought, wow, you know, I am going to get so many tops because I'm this big built guy. Oh, no. <laughs> no. No. The bigger I got, Peeling the, all the, the bottoms more off you. bottoms were chasing me. The versatile guys became bottoms when they saw me. The bottom guys were chasing me. And a bunch of tops were like, I don't know what to do with you. There's just too much of you. I, 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 you know, I can't manage all this. The irony is now, of my of my my two partners, one is five, five or five six. He's the most alpha of the three of us, and the other is five seven. So I'm far far taller, and I'm the most passive of the three of them, sexually. Which of course, when people see us out, they think totally the opposite. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, you could just see them kind of, the look in their eyes, you could actually see it go, you got it so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, I know what you're thinking, but no. No, you no, are no, no, no. all it's, it's, wrong. It's, it's also this assumption that if you're a dominant top, or um, you don't like being fucked. And it's like, no, 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 no. Actually, when it comes to the fucking bit, I prefer to be passive. Um, but, as a top, I like dominating a sub to fuck me. Yeah. Which is a head fuck for the sub as well. Um, and it's, it's, you can mix and match as much as you want. It's, it's, it's not set in stone what you're supposed to be. It's, it's also this uh, notion that if you wear a certain outfit, you have to do a certain thing. And I'm just like, no, I'll wear what I want and I'll do what I want. It's, it's, yes, there is, definitely a proud tradition of protocol and, and all of that and I, I'm not saying you should forget all that and, and, and I, I admire traditions and so on but I'm also my generation and this is what I like to do um, I, I definitely prefer some protocol when I'm dealing with a sub if he's writing me he writes sir I will say the s has to be a big s that's just my preference that's not every everyone else that might do that um, so it's, it's, it's always, my test for a sub is always kind of going, so if I order you to fuck me, what would you do? And if they say, well, I'll do that, then perfect. We're on the right page. Yeah, well, yeah. And I, 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 I've been known to do that because of exactly what you're, what you're saying. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I would say being dominant and being fucked or being fucking someone else is two very different things. Yeah. Um, it could be a combination of both, yeah, but I do think those two things kind of have to be separate. Just because someone's dominant doesn't mean they don't like a good rogering. No, and, and the, in, in my relationship this happens. I mean, one of, the, one of the two of us is mostly a top, but <clears throat> every now and again he wants to be on the bottom and, you know, I, I'm, I'm topping him, but I'm not dominant. He still is. You know, I'm, I'm still doing something that he wants. Yes, it feels good for me because we exactly. love each other. And so kind of anything you do with each other when you love each other is great. But but I, I'm not in a dumb headspace when I'm doing this. You know, it's still, I'm That's still this, I'm that. still the same me. So when when you became sober, what, what brought you to that point? It's like, I, I don't actually know a lot about your using story, what happened there and where it came from and so on. What, what brought you to the point of going, I need to change something? 
Well, I I drank badly from when I was in the, from sort of the first drink. Um, my mother is in recovery from drug and alcohol addiction. My father died young. Uh, he had a drug and alcohol problem, and my maternal grandparents, uh, my my maternal grandmother had a pill problem with uh, Valium, depressants like that. And my grandfather had an alcohol problem that he struggled with all of his life. So um, I'm, me and my mother are the, the survivors of a family that have been, uh, that have had to deal with alcohol and drug abuse throughout our lives. And when I stopped using, I had been shooting up crystal meth for six years. And uh, I stopped using when I was 28. And uh, I literally got up one morning and realized I'll, you, you, if you don't stop, you're going to die. It was one of those moments of clarity that addicts talk about. And it certainly was for me. There was just one of those things where I knew something for an absolute and total certainty. Um, there was just no question in my mind. And, <clears throat> and so it, I got, I, I said, well, that's it. So now how do I live? You know, I don't know how to live without this stuff. Um, and um, I, you know, I got a sponsor who was 20 years sober at the time that I, I that she became my sponsor. And um, the, 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 the reconstructing the, the sort of chemsex, dealing with the chemsex issues, before that was a term. Um, Crystal Meth Anonymous was a few months old when I got clean. Um, and I was, didn't know it existed. Um, there are far more resources now. I'm glad. I'm glad to see. I'm glad to say, and books and, and all the rest. But then I I was on my own, with all this shame and and the rest, and kind of had by trial and error. Um, at one point, I decided that since I was so terrified of asking men for sex of any kind. My solution was that I should organize orgies. <laughs> this is not at all what any any chemsex addict would be advised to do. Now, the opposite—they'd be you're no. told you're told abstinence and all this. Well, there was none of that advice, so I didn't do that. I, I don't know that I would have decided if somebody had said you shouldn't have sex for six months. I would have said, "Oh, fuck off! That's not. I'm not doing that." Um, it, it, for me, it wouldn't have been the right the right decision. But yes, I, I, I organized I'm, orgies for a while. And it, it worked because it gave me, I had a reason to be there. I had a reason to be, you know, naked and participating in this because I was the host. So I didn't have the terrors of asking for what I wanted were much lowered than they would have been. So it actually worked. I didn't do it for that long. Um, I did it for, I don't know, two or three years. Um, and then I, you know, it's a lot of work. Organizing any kind of party is a lot of work. Organizing one of those is even more work. Yeah. <laughs> Obvious yeah. reasons. Even, even organizing something at a cafe with no alcohol is also a lot of work. Yeah. 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 So, add, add lube to a hotel room, and you you can you know you can imagine. So um, yeah. yeah, no, I but it but it really it did really help me because it you know it gave me a reason to be there and a reason to be to be sexually active with with men around other men also. So I had to get rid of some of my body shame issues of, of uh, all of that. And, and of course, exposed me to, to 
kinkier men who were interested in, you know, fisting and water sports and impact play and all of this because, you know, it's it's a more hedonistic crowd that's that's interested in going to that's interested in going to orgies. So, um, but that that was that was sort of the um, that was kind of one of the breakthroughs, believe it or not, um, that really got me on the way because it also meant I met a lot of men who had very open minds about sex and what what men could be to one another. Um, I met a couple of people. I met many of, many of those men were long-term relationships that were open. That was my first exposure to open relationships. Uh, a number of them had kinky sides to them. And so, you know, I could play one-on-one -on -one with them and explore that a little bit. <coughs> um, and one thing leads to another. You know how it is. You find you, you like doing something and then you want to do more of that. And then you tend to get exposed to something else and you may not like, you know, you may not like that, but then this other thing comes along. Well, that's interesting. Um, and that's really how it, how it, how it happened. Um, but I, you know, when I set out to organize, organize these parties, that was certainly not my intention. I, I had no idea what I was, that it was going to lead to all these other things. I just thought it was going to solve this one, this one specific problem. Um, but then it's like an onion, you know, you, you keep unwinding layers of learned prejudices and internalized homophobia and insecurities and, and there's generally something else to, un <laughs> to peel off afterwards. Um, but every layer you peel away, you're lighter, your spirit is lighter and you're happier in your own mm. skin. And then it, you, you have more confidence that, okay, well, I'm going to have to peel off another layer, but I'll, I'll manage. I've, I've managed these other times. I'll manage this time too. So the more, the more of the layers you peel away, the easier it becomes the next time, I think. Certainly that was, that's been my experience. Um, yeah. There's nothing worse it's, than shame and guilt. These are really... No. I definitely um, struggle with shame and guilt when, especially when I got sober, because it's, you you feel you feel dirty. You feel like you've done something wrong. Where it's in general, it's like no, it's 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 like any other illness. You have to treat it. And when it's with addiction, it it's the symptom of something else, and you just have to figure out. And as you say, it's peeling those layers off and and figuring out what works for you. Um, Organizing orgies might not be for everyone. No, <laughs> no. I've definitely met people where I would never suggest that. No, um, yes. But then this again, is not a recommendation. It's, it's, this is what works for no. me and why. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 like starting run of the conversation. Um, so, if you could advise someone that's newly in recovery or trying to stop, but still, still want to explore kink or want to discover kink now in a safe space what advice would you give to a person like that i think the first thing um if, if you really if you want to stay abstinent right if, if that's the objective then um i think you have to be honest with yourself about what level of exposure to situations where someone may be drinking or may be using can you safely have? Because 
um, many of the environments where we do what we do or where we gather have either uh, have at least alcohol available in them. So I think you first have to be okay with with being in a place like that. And if you're not, then I would wait um, until until you feel that you are. Um, but I would also, you know, if you have some kinky friends who don't use drugs, for example, maybe they just socially drink, explain to them what you're going through and that you don't want to become isolated and feel lonely and, and ask for their help. Even if you don't have to know them really well, you just have to have a feeling that they're good people and ask them for, the, for their help and see what they suggest. And obviously, if you're in recovery, you, you would probably have a sponsor and ideally you would want to have a sponsor who's sympathetic, who has some understanding of, of and sympathy towards kinkiness in general. Um, not because you need advice for them on being kinky, but you need advice from them on staying clean that won't include them saying, don't go don't socialize with X and Y group, not because there's anything wrong with the group, but because they have a prejudice about kinkiness. <clears throat> um, and, 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 you know, sit down like, you know, there's an inventory that you do in step four and most programs, you know, do an inventory and ask yourself, just yourself, what do you like? What kinks interest you? And, and which ones do you want to, to try keeping? and try sober and then just wait a little and see what comes along because if you have some social connections with other people who are kinky and who aren't users of drugs opportunities will come along to socialize with, with other people at least and, and start relating to other kinky people without being high or without being drunk and then opportunities to play will come along um, and I don't think it works to force it. Um, I think you have to let things kind of come to you, um, let them be a little bit organic, um, and don't try to run before you can walk. The, the biggest thing to do if, you're, if you have a, a substance abuse problem, the most important thing is to not use. So everything has to come secondary to that. Um, so you may not be able to go to a hard-on party or a, or a big leather event right away, I mean, I know you've talked about this, that, that that's not something you were comfortable doing. That's not the only way to be around, to be around other like-minded people. That's, that's a way, but it's not the only way. And I go to those events, by the way, and I have a leather family that I go with, none of whom use drugs. A couple of them socially drink lightly, but that's it. <clears throat> but none of them use drugs. So I go to these events where there are people using, there are people drinking. But I go with a group of people I'm very close with and intimate with who don't use. So I always have a bubble around me that, that I know there's no possibility that I'm going to be confronted with, with drugs when I'm around the people that I'm there with. So having a bit of a posse of people who live like you do. An entourage. Yeah. You know, having a bit of a gang. Yeah, I think it makes going to the events when you when you finally do go, even if it's just going to an event at a bar, it's a lot easier if you go with a, with a few people who you know are not going to use, and everybody's going to sort of watch out for each other. 
it takes the stress the stress level down a lot. I mean, I'm guessing you've experienced this yourself when you go out. That if you go out with other yeah. with other people who don't use, it's a lot. It's a it's, lot less stressful. It, I, I think it's a lot less stressful if you're just honest with the people you're with. With yeah. just saying, this is where I'm at, and if if I feel uncomfortable, can I count on you? And yeah. In most cases, people are very open to it and very understanding. Um, it's about having those honest conversations, and there's normally no judgment, really. And if there is judgment, then they're the wrong friends for you, to be honest. Yes, yes, they are. And and there are a lot of men and, and women and, and, you know, queer and non-binary people who actually don't care for the drug use in the community. They don't talk about it a lot. They don't make an issue out of it, but they don't care for it. And, and so you, you, you can find people. You will find people. You know, if you're at a bar and you're drinking obviously water out of a water bottle, people will notice that. And if you see somebody else who's only drinking water, who seems to be like, you know, normal, talk to them. It may very well be somebody who's not not on ecstasy or something, but is just not interested in drinking alcohol. <laughs> there is also a good yeah. chance they might be. Yeah, there is that. Also. But then, but then you can kind of tell. You know, when you sober up, it becomes oh. very easy to tell. The, 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 oh, the, I can the spot eye, the mile. Yeah, yeah. The the eye, the the pupils very dilated, and and the the if there aren't uppers, yeah. the tense facial muscles and all that stuff, you can generally tell. I mean, you know, sometimes you get it wrong, you talk to somebody, and then you can just excuse yourself, go talk to somebody else. Yeah, it's um, fine. But, um, yeah, I, I, you know, what, I know for some men, it's, it's uh, some men and women, it's impossible. They, they can't have sex at all. And that's fine, you know, if that's, if that's where you're coming from, if you have a chemsex past, that's fine too. That doesn't mean you can't socialize with other people who are kinky and, and have companionship. Um, and and even go out uh, to events, and that doesn't mean you have to have sex at the events. You can just go out to the events and and be with your friends. Oh yeah, I find doing kinky events much more social nowadays than actually yeah. a sex thing. Um, I don't mind having sex at a party, but it's it's much more social for me, to be honest. No, the best parties to me are the ones where yes, there's a there's a great play area, but. If that's all there is, that's not enough for me anymore either. I actually want to, I like meeting people. I like meeting new people. It needs to be and, connection. Yeah. Yeah, I want some, that, that's the thing that, that I think is the hardest when you get clean if you have, especially if you have a meth problem or something like that, is you don't really know how to connect with people just as people and be intimate and, and not physically be, be, because um, it's risky. You know, some people will let you down. Uh, some people will reject you, but not everyone will. And if you can learn to be open as a person with other people, it's a lot easier to be open in your kinky life also, and you'll have a hell of a lot more fun. Let me tell you. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, my God. My, it's so much more fun now than it ever <laughs> that's, was. That's the best high ever that's... does not touch that's like, a whole nope. other episode yeah. where we'll do it a late night and <laughs> X-ray yeah. episode. Oh, yeah. Tell all these stories. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, so but but you know what any, I mean. It's, if, it's true. It's, yeah, it's absolutely. a lot more absolutely. fun. Once you get over the, 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 the crap that's in your head, when you have some ability to connect with others when you're playing, 
it's a whole universe better than the best high you'll ever have. That's the well, irony it's, it's to me. It's a natural high. So yeah. it's, it's, it's your own body creating it, which is yeah. important. So, yeah. so if, anyone's, if, it, if anyone's watching this and going, I relate to a lot of the stuff you talked about, or I'm curious and so on, where can people contact you? Uh, well, um, I mean, this is going to be on Instagram, so my, my um, handle will be attached to it. Um, I'm on uh, Recon as Boy Nico. Um, I'm on FetLife as Boy Nico also, I think. Um, but um, yeah, Recon would be the obvious, Recon on Instagram would be the obvious ways. Thank and you I'm, very much yeah. for being on, Nick. It's, it's been a joy to sit and have a chat with you, and, and I think we've covered a lot of interesting things, and I'm hopefully people will find them very interesting. No, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's always fun talking to you, yeah. Ralph, anyway, so I was really honored to be asked, Well, because uh, I love what you're doing. Of it's, of it's great. Of, well, uh, we, we're both like-minded people, so it, it makes sense us talking together and, and sharing some of our experiences to the masses, if you could say. <laughs> The kinky masses. So, <laughs> so thank you for coming on. My pleasure. And that was this episode. Thank you very much for watching, and I'll see you again in two weeks' time. Um, it was absolutely a joy to have Nick on, and I'm sure we could have kept talking for ages and ages and ages, but limitations. Um, but yeah, so I'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>